there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or 10 minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini-episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career triple-shot K-Cup with my guest, Abby Volen. So you founded Opening Doors in 2017, and as your website explains, you're a team of animal accommodation law experts. What does that mean, Abby, and what do you do? Yeah, so again, this is something I've, I've kind of created this niche. When I say animal accommodation law, I'm talking about the Fair Housing Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act the Air Carrier Access Act, and that's for individuals living with a disability and the ways in which their animals help them cope with their impairments. We're talking about service animals and emotional support animals and assistance animals and all the legal nuances that come into that. And it really impacts everyone. It impacts housing providers. It impacts public spaces. It impacts colleges and universities and airlines. It really is everywhere. And people don't quite realize to make a label for it. So I call it animal accommodation law. A lot of it is civil rights too. There's a civil right aspect to it. Okay. Interesting. Explain that. Sure. Well, you're talking about individuals living with a disability and that is a protected class. And so it's understanding what does it mean to be living with a disability, which is actually a very broad standard under these animal accommodation laws. And then what are your rights and responsibilities under it? And how do animals help you cope with your impairment? And so because it is a protected class, you are entitled to certain rights. So when you say somebody with disabilities, could you kind of lay out for us what they include? And do you have to get a professional diagnosis in order to qualify? Oh, boy. So a disability has different meanings depending on the law in which it is used. When it comes to these civil rights laws for the animal accommodation, Americans with Disabilities Act and Fair Housing Act, the definition of disability is actually really broad. It's do you have a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits an activity of daily living? So do you have a a physical or mental impairment, whether or not we're talking about epilepsy or depression or ADD or cancer, and really it's any kind of impairment, and does it impact an activity of daily living? So do you have difficulty with sleeping, standing, sitting, thinking, focusing, reading? It's purposely very broad. Congress purposely made this these protections and the definition of disability very, very broad. And in fact, according to the CDC, over one in four people are living with a disability. Now, just because you are living with a disability does not mean you are 
automatically entitled to an accommodation. You have to find accommodation that alleviates a symptom or effect of your disability. So if you have ADD and you have trouble focusing, let's say by having your cat on your lap, it helps you focus so you can do your work. Well, that's a disability. And there you have an accommodation, something that helps alleviate a symptom or effect of your disability. Now, in terms of how to validate, when it comes to animal accommodation law, if your disability is obvious, if you can see it, it's readily apparent, no more verification is needed. If the use of your animal is obvious, no verification is needed. So when we think about this, think about a guide dog for the blind. That is going to be obvious both for the disability and the accommodation. It's very obvious why you need that animal. But what if you're in a wheelchair, which is obvious, you have a disability, but then you have a dog standing next to you? Well, you don't know what that dog is for. So in that case, you may have to provide verification of why you need that animal. So you also asked about verification, if you need you know, a doctor to establish that you're living with a disability. The answer is actually no. Certainly, if it comes from a doctor, that will certainly be persuasive. But the standard under these laws, and this is something that most people, including attorneys, don't realize, it just has to be reliable. Someone with personal knowledge of your disability and the way in which it expresses itself, it manifests itself in the ways that you cope with that disability. If someone has personal knowledge of that, that verification would be reliable. For example, let's say I have an addiction problem and I go to AA and I talk about my dog and how my dog has been really instrumental in helping me stay sober. Well, in that case, someone from your AA group could certainly provide verification, reliable verification that you are living with a disability, which is addiction. Now, disability is not if you're currently using, but if you are dealing with the aftermath, dealing with addiction. So that's obvious for having a disability. And then the fact that your dog is the one that's helping you stay sober, well, that is alleviating a symptom or effect of your disability. And I think certainly someone from your AA group would be a more reliable source to verify that than, say, your primary care physician or whatever other doctor you might go to. So really, it just needs to be reliable, which most often is from a doctor, but it need not be. And let me also say that it is not the same as a prescription. You don't need an official diagnosis. You just need to have an impairment that impacts an aspect of the way you live your life. Got it. Could you give us perhaps another example of some of the kinds of cases that you've handled for clients? So the issues I tend to deal with for helping people with this issue, it's usually around mental health. People who are dealing with anxiety or depression or bipolar, frankly, we live in precarious times. And, and certainly as mental health is being less stigmatized, and more people are willing to acknowledge that they have some difficulties and they need some help, that's an issue that is really dominating the animal accommodation world. I think it's also that people don't realize that there are countless types of impairments for which an animal will help alleviate a symptom or effect. That's why I hate the term emotional support animal. 
I tend to not use it. I'm trying to get it out of our lexicon. And it's because it really narrows the types of impairments for which we think an animal will be appropriate. Animals can just be so therapeutic in countless ways. So for example, I have epilepsy. And one of the triggers is stress. And so my cat, she helps me keep calm. If my blood pressure starts to rise, she'll, she'll come over to me or I'll go over to her and, and she'll sit in my lap and it's very soothing when I pet her. And that's alleviating a symptom or effect of my disability, which is I tend to have seizures. And so that is another appropriate use of assistance animals. People don't understand. They don't realize how broad it is. And so I think that's another reason why it tends to only come to light for mental health issues. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.